I want to welcome everyone today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. Great to be with you. Today is a part six of a series and the final part of a series called Six Marks of a Church Culture That Deeply Changes Lives. And this comes out of a simple ebook I uh, put together called Six Marks of a Church Culture That Deeply Changes Lives. And I want to invite you to pick it up on our website. Uh, it's, uh, it kind of summarizes each of the parts very quickly with a bit of an assessment and a few questions for you to ask to you and your team. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And you can pick that up and use it with your team. But let me review a bit here as we launch into part six. So we as leaders, uh, we want to be the culture. We want to embody the culture that we're seeking to form. And actually, our presence is what helps create it. And so our, our cultures as Christ followers that we're creating is meant to be different than, for example, in my context, United States culture, Western culture. And actually, I'd say quite distinct from even what contemporary Christian culture looks like. So I break it down to six qualities or six marks of what that looks like. We started by part one talking about a slow down spirituality, that our being with Jesus is actually sufficient to sustain our doing for him. And then we talked about integrity and leadership, that we actually uh, embody and live what we teach. And there's no pretending or lying that the degree to which we are being transformed uh, in our leadership is the degree to which we're able to give it to others. Third mark was beneath the surface discipleship. We talked about things like family of origin, our cultures, our brokenness, our vulnerability, grief, loss, limits, things like that, that we've got to get beneath the surface in our communities, uh, in our discipling of people, if we're going to see the kind of change in the world that we long for and in people's lives. Then we talked about healthy community, that we get beyond being nice people, that we're very intentional uh, in confronting elephants in the room, as well as equipping our people on how to do relationships. That becomes a core part of our discipleship. And just like Jesus talked about, that we're intentional about loving each other and creating that kind of community. It's not natural so that the world might know that he is the Lord. Then last week, we talked about passionate marriages and singleness, which are very different than secular singleness and marriages. And we're called to be a sign and a wonder and began to explore that. So this week, I want to move to the final mark, which is every person in full-time ministry, every person in full-time ministry. So let me explain the problem we've got here before I launch into it. You'll hear statements like this quite often. Oh, I'm just working my job. I'm actually waiting to discern my calling in life, or I'm waiting to see what I should do with my life, or I really work my job so I can have a vacation and work and do what I want on weekends. Or I was, you'll hear things like, I was called to the ministry at age 21, and then I went to seminary. Now I'm a pastor, uh, or I'm not trained. I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a lay person. And so over church history, calling became confused with one occupation. So people take vocational tests, for example, and they determine whether they'll be a social worker or a doctor or a lawyer and, or calling became your place in life. Oh, I'm called to be single, or I'm called to be married, or I'm, I'm called to be slave or free. Uh, and then calling morphed into being reserved for people who were, quote, professional Christians, uh, like pastors and evangelists and missionaries. And actually, if you look at church history, you see the confusion about the word calling uh, in all three branches of Christianity. Uh, you see it in the Catholic, Roman Catholic distortion, where you have uh, the contemplative life and the active life, and upper life, which would be the more monastic life, and the lower life of those who are active. 
And then the Orthodox distortion of Orthodox churches where the clergy are the disciples and parishioners are basically faithful and, and more passive. And then the Protestant distortion, which is really secularized the notion of calling and reduced vocation, uh, reduced it to a vocation or our occupation. And so basically what we have uh, is a, uh, a clergy at the top and kind of congregation at the bottom. We've got the world split in two parts. We've got the sacred things uh, like church and worship and prayer and Bible study. And then we've got the secular world that we're involved in. So what I want to do here uh, in this podcast is talk about a few very large truths. And then I want to, at the end, go into four, uh, what I would consider, you know, serious or life-changing implications for us as leaders. Uh, and they're actually the four things that I, that for myself have been so transformative, you know, long-term around this theme of every person in full-time ministry. So I want, I want you to go with me to a, the, the first truth here. And it's actually, I'm going to use the Colossians 3, 23 and 24 as my base. And that's this, that every person in scripture is called to full-time ministry. That when we use the word full-time ministry, that refers to every person who is a, a believer in Jesus. So I want you to um, uh, go to Colossians 3, 24, 20, 23, and 24, which says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working as for the Lord, not for people. It is the Lord Jesus that you are serving. And the Colossian church was a very impressive, heavenly-minded church with all their new spirituality and visions and impressive asceticism. And Paul goes after this compartmentalization uh, about uh, every person being a full-time minister, and he refers specifically to slaves. And uh, it, now let me just, if you get this truth, it, it is so big, it's like discovering, as some scholars have said, like a whole new continent. Uh, now, in ancient times, in ancient Greeks, they saw work as a curse, uh, especially slaves. Now, Rome had an estimated two to 300,000 slaves, one-third of the total population. It was 60 million slaves, they say, in the Roman Empire as a whole. And some scholars argue that a third of Greece uh, was, was made up of slaves. And so by the time Paul writes his letter in Colossians, slaves were uh, an accepted part of the Christian community. The, and, and they could be pastors and teachers and apostles. And so Paul calls them here and says, listen, everybody's in full-time ministry, including you slaves, that Lord Jesus transforms all of that. And uh, you are serving not human masters, but the Lord himself. And in fact, you know, slaves, of course, cannot inherit anything. And and Paul says, you have a master in heaven is going to reward you in that day. And, and it's the Lord Christ that you are serving. And so he makes the point that your calling is your whole life. Uh, and it happened at your conversion. We really see that unpacked in 1 Corinthians 7. When you came to Jesus, when when you came to faith in Christ, you were called to Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. So every single Christian is called. That's why the language we use is so important uh, that everybody's in full-time ministry, whether you get paid for it or not, uh, like I do, vocational workers, but we're all full-time workers for Christ. And, and, uh, and so our calling is, of course, we're called to Jesus into communion with him, uh, just like Mark 3.14 says, when a, a disciple is called to be with Jesus in communion and personal relationship to seek his face, that's our, we all have that same calling, regardless of what we do for work or profession. And uh, and, and then our, our work, of course, then it, it, we're in full-time ministry and in the workplace where most of our people are. Uh, now, most people see work as, you know, it's a, it's a, um, it's a curse. You know, I got to endure this for a paycheck. 
And folks say things like to me all the time, I don't help anyone, Pete. I, I don't get any satisfaction from it. Uh, I'm underemployed. Uh, my boss is an idiot. And uh, so I'm basically working so that on weekends and vacations and hopefully when I retire, I can do what I want. Uh, but what we do at work matters. We're, we're actually all free for Christ. And uh, we work for Jesus, every one of us. It's all sacred and holy, whether we're retired, unemployed, handicapped, underemployed, paid or not. In fact, so many, if not most of the heroes in scripture are, are in secular vocations. I mean, Abraham uh, developed real estate. Uh, Jacob was a rancher. Daniel was a, uh, in government service. We see him as a student, uh, becoming prime minister. Esther was in a beauty contest. Joshua was a military man. David was a musician and artist. And Joseph had a high government job that in a place that was incredibly idolatrous. Uh, he had a deep sense of being sent by God. And so, you know, even Jesus himself, he was a carpenter, which is the word for, for builder, someone in the construction trade. And since there was little wood in the area uh, where he was raised, it was probably meant stone or masonry work. He was the oldest son of a Jewish family uh, with its own home and business. So he probably spent 75 to 80 percent of his working life making money to support himself and his family. And he sold products to people who didn't believe in him as the Messiah. Some were not even Jews, but Jesus was immersed in business and the culture of his day. Uh, so therefore, for example, if a person's an accountant, uh, when we say you're in full-time ministry, that means I count these numbers with care as if I'm doing Jesus's taxes. You know, if I'm a car salesperson, it's as if I'm selling these cars to Jesus. Uh, and the way I relate to my coworkers that way, if I'm a chimney sweeper, I'm, I'm sweeping Je Jesus's house. If I'm a computer programmer or in, in the IT work, I'm, it's Jesus' computer and, and system I'm working on. If I'm in, const if I'm in construction, uh, it's his house that I'm building. If I'm in sanitation and, uh, or custodian, uh, you know, I'm, I'm picking up all the garbage that, that, that fell out. I'm, I'm cleaning the, you know, the streets for Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning his street. If I'm an educator, Jesus is one of my students. Christ is my, vice, is my principal. I'm not just getting by for tenure. If I'm a dentist, it's his teeth I'm working on. If I'm a hairdresser, it's as if I'm, I'm, I'm working on Christ's hair. If I'm a musician, I'm giving Christ as a, in the audience, joy. If I'm a pharmacist, uh, Jesus is my boss. This patient is Christ. If I'm a psychologist, it's, it's Christ walking in the room. If I'm a waiter, it's Jesus is my customer. If I'm a student, I'm, I'm studying for Christ. The list goes on. Uh, this was a huge shift to me because even as a, as a pastor, I was a lead pastor for 26 years. And, uh, you know, I saw sermons and, and prayer for, and prayer uh, and, and preaching. That was my primary calling. That was really the holy work. And it took me, a, it, it took me this theology to shift and realize, oh, no, running an elder meeting, administration, looking, doing budgets, uh, all these, those executive function, functions, they are my calling equally as much as the rest of it. And uh, I also had a sacred secular split, even in my work. Uh, in fact, it's so interesting, the great movement, world missionary movement in the 1700s and 1800s was actually done by regular people with regular jobs. And William Carey was the father of modern missions. He was a shoemaker, cobbler, uh, who went to India. What's interesting is, is uh, you know, one CEO Christian complained to me once. He goes, Pete, you know, most of us are called to secular places like, you know, selling groceries and working in business, but we don't get celebrated in churches. I've never been to a church that uh, commissions people like myself, but we're all chaplains 
in a sense, whether we work at Home Depot or Starbucks or a nursing home, we're all in full-time ministry and we're all called. And that's why we work until we die, whether it's paid or unpaid. It's one of the great, great tasks of the church today is to re recuperate this enormous theology that every person's in full-time ministry because your calling encompasses your whole life. And so going to work is as spiritual as a person coming to church. Taking my daughter to lunch is as spiritual as having a daily office. You know, studying for an exam is as spiritual as attending worship and dancing, or vacuuming the apartment is as spiritual as reading a Christian devotional book. Uh, cooking a meal for the family or changing a diaper is as spiritual as leading a Bible study. Or serving in the, as an usher or in the parking lot is as spiritual as giving a sermon. To work on your marriage and dealing with conflict and tension, uh, which is so painful, is as spiritual as attending worship and lifting your hands up to Jesus. So the next time you hear someone say, I was called to full-time ministry, you want to correct them. Or you want to, when I help correct them, help them to say, no, you were called to full-time ministry when you came to Jesus. And maybe at 21, 22, you had this additional guidance uh, to be uh, led into vocational Christian ministry. So Ephesians chapter four, uh, you're, you became an equipper. If anything, there's a division of those who are Equippers, Ephesians 4.11, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, that we equip the body for the work of the ministry. It doesn't mean we have to get paid for it. Some are tent makers like Paul was. And, and then there are those who are being equipped for the work of the ministry who are also making disciples. But uh, I, I, whenever I hear that word, I was called a full-time ministry by somebody who was a missionary or in the pulpit or passing through, I get such a knot in my stomach because they're teaching bad theology. And the words and language we use are very, very important. So to develop a church culture that deeply changes lives, we, we shift our language to, theo to proper theology, which is every person's in full-time ministry, You're, and people's work is part of their full-time ministry. But a second big biblical truth, and important one, is that God's a worker. We're a worker, God's a worker, and part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we work. I mean, so God's a person, we're a person. You know, God creates, we create. God enjoys and delights, we delight. God thinks we think, God feels we feel, God loves we love, God works we work, we're made in his image, God rests we rest as a rhythm. When you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, God sends them to work in the garden before sin enters the human race. And it's filled with joy and wonder, it's beautiful, it's exciting, they're creating community. It's one of the ways they honored God, out of communion with him. And so we see this command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this was a life-changing truth to me as well, uh, to realize they were creating, and they were being fruitful and multiplying, they, that they were to spend their lives engaging the earth, imagining, dreaming, envisioning, and then they were shaping uh, the earth. And that word shape, to, or to rule, or to subdue, is literally to, to tread, to cut a path through a virgin forests, and then cultivate the land. And uh, it's a tremendous image. So we create, we imagine, we dream, we envision, we engage the earth. Uh, and then we shape, we, we, we cut a path through the virgin forest of, and, we, and we create, we, 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 we cultivate the land. And, and so that's why God has Adam name the animals, whatever he wants, name them, you know, such freedom. So for example, when we prepare a meal, we're creating and shaping. When we make plans for the day in our to-do list, we're creating and shaping. When I get dressed in the morning and comb my hair, I'm creating and shaping. When we care for the environment around us and we, we're creating and shaping. When we're raising children and building friendships and mentoring and we're creating and shaping in relationships. When we give money, uh, we're creating and shaping. We sing in the choir, play music, art, write, planning, planting a garden. It's all creating and shaping, bringing order out of chaos. 
you know, again, when a custodian in a school or I'm picking up garbage on my way into church, I'm creating and shaping. Uh, if I straighten up the office or, or our house, space is holy, I create and shape. I'm taking our marriage somewhere with Jerry, I'm creating and shaping, I invest in that. Uh, I think of CPAs and financial planners are stewarding wealth and they're creating and shaping for people. Our, our very speech and our tone of voice, because uh, the tongue is a power of life and death, we create and shape. Like God, we work. When you write a business plan and do a strategic plan or form community or write a computer program, it's creating and shaping. So part of who I am as a image bearer of God is I'm a worker. It's part of being fully human. In fact, in scripture and revelations, work continues into God's kingdom in a new heaven and new earth, along with our Sabbath rest when we see him face to faith. And so it's not even just temporary. There's some there's indications in scripture that our work will last forever. Tolkien wrote about that and, and uh, uh, as well. It's fascinating. But we bring order out of chaos like God does. That's why uh, for us and for, for me over the years, the, the creating of emotionally healthy skills uh, in the relationships course was so critical. So, because people go into the workplace and people often say, oh, my workplace is so evil, Pastor Pete, you know, it's, people gossip and they backbite and they betray each other. You should see that place. It is, you know, whether it's the police department or sanitation department or the government or in a corporate world or in finance, I think people, you know, I, you know, it's, it's horrible to work that you have no idea. And what we forget is that's why God sent us there to, like God, to take, you know, the thing of the world was formless and void, was chaotic, Genesis 1, and God steps in and creates and he shapes and he brings beauty out of that. And then he, then he calls Adam and Eve to do the same thing, to create and shape. And so it's God who sends us to our workplaces. We've got to give our people a sense of that sentness uh, to the workplace. Not that we don't look for another job or move, but that we, we got a sense of sentness in there. At the same time, there's a third uh, critical theological point, and that's this, that all work is hard, that because of the fall and the curse found in Genesis chapter three, uh, there is frustration and failure and blood and sweat and hardness to all work. Even if, even if a person loves their job, uh, what we do will be exhausting. It will never fully satisfy us that we accomplish one goal. is gonna be another need tomorrow. Uh, and the whole creation groans in bondage to decay, Romans chapter 8. And so in Genesis 3, when God says, Curse the, Cursed is the ground because of you, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. Then he says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Again, it's a very critical point in that uh, work is just hard. All professions are hard. So again, teaching would be easy if uh, there were no bad students, and building buildings would be easy if there weren't workers and union contractors and shipments coming late. And again, cleaning the house would be fine if it what didn't get filthy so quickly again. Again, name your profession. The same goes for pastoring and leading, whatever it is uh, that God's called us to do. And it's just very important to keep that in perspective because why we, we long to see him face to face when everything will be restored, which brings me to our fourth, my, my final fourth and theological point, which is that Christ uh, restores work to its original intention, that you know through the cross of Jesus, uh, we can reclaim God's original purpose for life and work, at least to a certain extent through Jesus, until we see him face to face. And that word save means to make whole. And uh, so God is making us more and more whole in the image of Jesus and restoring our work to God's original intention, because he came as a worker. So uh, let me just now go into the four specific applications for us as leaders and as pastors. And uh, so let me just begin with this very simply is that we need to reject 
in the sense of entitlement or the entitlement that people project onto us uh, as pastors and leaders. Again, when we deal with the culture, if you've got power, if you've got money, if you've got authority, people treat you a certain way. Uh, and that's not like that in the kingdom of God. In fact, it's the exact opposite. And, but it's just so easy to fall into, oh, I get my perks because I'm a pastor and I'm suffering for you, you know, my parking spot, my, parking spot, my, my seat, etc. So yes, it is true that we are pastors, equippers, evangelists, apostles, uh, you know, teachers, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're equipping people for the work of the, of the ministry. That's all true. Uh, but we do not want to fall into this two-tier mentality of sacred and secular, higher Christians, lower Christians, uh, you know, before God, we're all equal in the righteousness of Jesus alone. And like Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we want to affirm that we are servants uh, and we follow the crucified Christ and we have this treasure in jars of clay. Uh, and I love Paul's description in 2 Corinthians 4, where he says, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. And he refers to himself, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in your mortal body. And I just love that image. So I think we want to be very careful to constantly live out our theology uh, and not letting people put us in some kind of a two-tier mentality. We're servants, uh, just like Paul, just like Jesus, who washed the disciples' feet. But secondly, then we watch the language uh, that we're using and our people are using around the issue of work and ministry. And then when someone says, oh, I was called to full-time ministry, or I'm thinking about going into full-time ministry, those are teachable moments about, no, we're all in full-time ministry. Uh, the moment you came to Christ, you were in full-time ministry, regardless of what you do, uh, whether you're paid, unpaid, retired, unre not retired. Uh, and I may be a vocational Christian worker, uh, which means, yes, I do get paid for this, but I'm if I when I stop getting paid for this and I'm doing something else, I'm still in full-time Christian work. And Paul was able to easily go back and forth into that in his own understanding. That's critical. We change the language of the culture and that we're serving. Thirdly is that I want to invite you to teach a theology of work. Uh, it's very critical. It's not taught very often in churches, but it needs to be fleshed out and permeate uh, our ministries, if we're going to create cultures where people are deeply changed. There's a lot of good ideas, a lot of good ministries that have launched in the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years around work and faith, and I encourage you to Google that. Uh, I did a sermon series on it uh, called Your Life, Your Calling, and Your Work. It's actually a 10, 12-part series, and I want to encourage you to go to our, our sermons uh, page on emotionallyhealthy.org and take a look at it. Uh, everything from working from your rest and all different topics from Zacchaeus to Nehemiah. And it'll give you a lot of, you know, a lot of really good ideas. And can you encourage to use any of that as you see fit? Um, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be under when you do the search function, but look under calling and hopefully you'll find a number of good resources. Uh, a fourth application uh, for us is I want to encourage you to equip your retirees, to equip your retirees. Uh, we're serving an aging population around the world right now. And so we've got increasing numbers of people who are, quote, retired. I don't like the word retired. I'm not sure that's biblical either. Uh, we might say they've transitioned out of paid work. But a Christian, we work until we die. We do some kind of work. So even if on my deathbed, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not able to leave my bed. I'm able to pray and work in some way, you know, for Jesus. But we are 
God's a worker, we're a worker. And so we work until we die, paid or unpaid. And so we've got this massive resource in our churches around the world right now of people who are looking for meaning. I'm amazed at how many folks I meet who are in their uh, late 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, who are seeking purpose, who are looking for what's next in their life. And I think we as a church have an incredible prophetic opportunity to uh, help them you know, tie into Jesus' purpose for their life. And now that, now that they may have some level of financial stability uh, in their lives for the rest of their lives, it does open up all kinds of doors. So that's, that equipping of folks who have transitioned out of their paid employment is uh, what a resource uh, for the church around the world. And then fifthly and finally, let me invite you to consider holding a commissioning service uh, regularly, maybe every year, but regularly where you actually commission people into the workplace. Uh, we're used to in our churches commissioning a youth pastor or a missionary or dating a pastor, and that's all good. We need to be consistent, however, and commission people into their workplaces. Uh, at the same time. And so uh, we actually created a commissioning service. It's one of the tapes I want to encourage you to download from our uh, sermon website there on emotionallyhealthy.org. But uh, so what we did was we um, uh, we invited people to specifically to stand uh, in a service, gave a little bit of theology around it, and it was summarizing at the end of a series. And we invited people in different areas of work to stand. Uh, if they wanted to be set apart or, or commissioned to their workplace for Christ. And so areas such as business, folks in management, accountant, finance, engineers, people in healthcare, that was a second category, people in education, folks in social services we had stand, folks in the service and retail industry we had stand, city workers and government workers, we, that was another category. The construction and trades area was another area. The arts was another, students from junior high to post-grad, uh, sales and related occupations was another category. Folks in transition who were in between careers, uh, maybe on disability or changing careers, that was another category. Retired was another category. Those who were parenting and at home was another. Transportation, uh, that's a huge area of employment for people from airports to buses to drivers. Those in church and parachurch work was another category. The legal profession was yet another, and then we had a category called other. And then we invited people in each category as a, uh, to stand. And, uh, and then we, we actually prayed for them at the end. We commissioned them uh, to be the hands and presence of Christ in their workplace. And then we invited them to come forward uh, at the end of the service and receive a commissioning card at, at stations around the room with elders and other leaders distributing cards. And it wasn't a, a, it's a little identity card they could put in their wallet. And uh, not to get a parking space or to avoid tickets or to marry people or get into a hospital. It was actually meant to remind them of who they are uh, and to put it in their wallet or on their desk. And, and we create a little full-time ministry identification card is what we called it. And I want to encourage you to invent and create one of your own. Uh, and ours simply said this, and again, New Life Fellowship has actually morphed it uh, since then and, and made some changes, but it simply said this certifies, this little identification card, full-time ministry identification card, this certifies that I'm a full-time minister, that is, servant of Jesus Christ. And I first allow my work to form Christ in me. I'm also called to create and shape, build community, and push back the powers of evil at work, family, church, neighborhood, and in my city, country. And so our mission uh, is part of transforming church culture 
is that every person has a sense of calling uh, and in full-time ministry for Christ. Now, again, we spent 23 years seeking to figure out how do we transform the culture of a church? And these six characteristics or marks uh, from this these past podcasts have been a help to kind of flesh it out a bit. I never wanted a program, in New York City at least, uh, folks are extremely cynical, and I was one of them, towards any program. Uh, and perhaps you come from a part of the world where that's true as well. But our journey ended up uh, where five, six, seven years ago, we recognized we needed a programmatic element to transform culture. And that's what led us to develop what we call the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course, course Parts 1 and 2. And it was a way of putting an anchor in our culture to form uh, the kind of church culture we wanted so people's lives were transformed deeply and our mission was going out into the world. So let me invite you to find out more about what might it look like to put an anchor into your culture to begin to change it now. You know, every member of full-time, every person, a full-time ministry worker, passionate marriages and singleness, some of the stuff we've talked about in these podcasts builds on what that culture fully looks at. But you've got to get it started and in introducing a radical counterculture into your ministry, into your church. And so I would encourage you to find out about what we call level one training, uh, master the launch of the emotionally of the discipleship course. Find out about that, check it out, because even an introduction, you will find out of two eight-week courses is a big introduction, but it's a critical one to be if you're going to sustain a transformed culture long-term. So thank you so much for being with me today at the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. Look forward to hearing from you again and uh, see you next week. God bless. Take care.